A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we build up to England's five match T20 series against the West Indies, which is live and exclusive here on Talksport 2. We'll hear exclusively from England captain Owen Morgan and West Indies all rounder and former captain Jason Holder. And we'll be joined live from Barbados by England fast bowler David Payne. As well as that, we'll be joined by the guys from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast to discuss how the hosts are preparing for the series. So, as always, there's plenty to fit in over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I mean, it's a, it's a new-look squad for England. We're used to seeing that. I mean, we'll never, I think, uh, have the unprecedented situation where England replace an entire squad as they did before the Pakistan ODIs in the summer. But um, there's some, some exciting names, um, uh, three who could make their debuts, Phil Salt, George Garton and David Payne. We'll be speaking to David a little bit later on. Four left armers in the squad. Maybe that's a subject that we can uh, bring up with him. But you, I mean, you and I share a, a mutual excitement uh, for Phil Salt. He's been, yeah, I, I don't know whether due a debut is uh, the right way to put it, but he's certainly worth one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's nice to see that your players who have who have done well in the system coming through, i.e. the the T Twenty Blast, are getting rewarded with with call ups. Garton, I quite like. I've enjoyed watching him in the uh, in franchise stuff. So I'll be intrigued to see how he goes that one step up because I think it looks as though he's going to play. Yeah, David Payne, who has an experienced cricketer who's played a lot of cricket, uh, done fantastically well, and Gloucester have been very very good in the Blast. I know they're not one of the sort of household counties, but when it comes to the longer format of the game, but in the blast, they have been very, very good and competitive in a number of years now in, in white ball cricket. And, and David Payne has done fantastically well for, for them. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits in and where he gets to go. Um, but you're right. I think Phil Salt has somebody who has knocked on the door for the white ball team for a while. And it's difficult to get into this white ball side. And it's, and it's int- interesting that, it doesn't look as though he's going to play in his natural place. We look at the warm-up game that have just been played. Tom Banton opened the baton. 
and Phil Salt came in at number six. So whether there's a change of role for Phil Salt or they're just trying to get everybody a game and just fit them in anywhere, I'm not so sure. But I'd, I'd like to see Salt get a game because he's, I think he's knocked on the door for a long time now. And I think he deserves his chance. I'm going to ask you about Sam Billings. Um, he, um, he posted a picture on Twitter uh, looking out of his aeroplane window describing his journey to get from Tasmania to Barbados. It was Hobart, Sydney, Miami, Los Angeles, London, the moon. I can't, I can't even remember it. I mean, but I just unbelievable journey. Um, and he's going to keep in all five games by the looks of it. Yeah. And it's good for him as well. The one thing about Sam, he has traveled the world. He's not caused any fuss. He's not come out in the press and said, I deserve my chance when things haven't gone so well for, for England. He seems to have been a good guy to have around. Not too dissimilar to the coach when he first started, Paul Collingwood, when he first started in this in the England setup in the sort of early late 90s, early 2000s. It wasn't a, it was a quite a strong side to get into, so he struggled to get in when he when he was first around because bear in mind I think Collie Collie was first talked about playing for England in 2000, well, 1999, 2000, I think it was, when he made his one-day debut. He didn't play international cricket until, until a lot later than that. So a little bit like Collie, he was, a, he was a good bloke to have in a dressing room, good tourist, everything that goes with it. And it seems that Sam's fallen into that category. But now he's going to get his chance with Joss and Johnny not being there. You know, he literally, he's gone, he's gone via the moon, the stars in, in everywhere, <laughs> which way, but loose on an aeroplane. He's cracked up some air miles. He's probably got more air miles than you, manners, to be fair. Um, but he's managed to get himself in a position to hopefully stake a claim in both both formats. This is a big chance for Sam, and I hope he takes it. I really do. There was positive signs in his movements when he, he was in Test Match Cricket. I like the Wee's positivity. He was trying to be a little bit more positive. He wasn't too bad in defence against the fantastic bowling attack in Australia. But now he's going to get his chance in, in white ball cricket. And I just wonder, with that Phil Salt, is Sam Billens going to go in at number one instead of Tom Banton, who I think kept yesterday? Or will he fit in in that middle order at number six and Tom Banton you know, just, just goes in as an opening batsman? So it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. But I, I hope he takes his chance because you know, sometimes these good guys that go around the world and you know, fits in nicely in the dressing room doesn't always get their rewards. But fingers crossed for Sam, he does. What about um, your old mate Collie making his, his first appearance as head coach? And I, I don't mean this... Um, in any any way, d- disrespectfully, but well, how do you see his role? Because I mean, Owen Morgan's he he's, he runs the ship. Um, he's the man behind the wheel. He makes the decisions. I would imagine that he'll uh, be selecting the starting 11s as well. So, what, what does Collie do to report to uh, Owen Morgan's hotel room and say, "What would you like me to do, Skipper?" <laughs> yeah, possibly, quite possibly. But that seems to be a well-run machine. There's a lot come out of. Owen Morgan's interview with with Scott Taylor in Talk Sport last week, and he is the man in charge, and rightly so because he he's earned the right to have his final say in, in everything that goes on in that group. I actually think this is a very very good match. You know, when you talk about matchups, I think this is a very good matchup. This England this this England duo of Morgan and Collingwood. I think they both get on very very well. Talking about split coaches. I don't see anybody other than Collie to take the one-day side. And people will say, oh, well, you will say that because he's your mate. I can put it out there. I didn't speak to Collie for a number of years. Me and Collie have not got 
didn't have the best relationship when we come to playing because we had different ideas on how the game was played. But I respect the guy like you'd not believe because of the amount of you know, cricket we've played together, you know, the family crossovers that we've had in each other's, you know, in each other's spaces over the course of the last 25 years. We had a different opinion on the way the game was played, but it never clouded my judgment that one day Paul Collingwood will be a fantastic coach and he is a good coach and I think he will coach this one day side going forward. I would urge them to give him the job going forward. If they're going to split it and Silverwood goes or Silverwood stays, I think the, the matchup between Morgan and and Collingwood would be is a very, very good combination. And I think long-term, going forward, there's no way Owen Morgan is going to take the England cricket coach. I don't think. He's got too many, got too many bigger fishes to fry from that point of view. But I think when, when Morgan goes in a year or two years' time, depending on how long he wants to go for, I think a Butler or a Stokes combination with Collingwood would work very, very well as well. So while the one-day ship is sailing rightly, with the wind and a, and, and, a, and a good lick. I think this is a nice combination, along with Triscothic, who's in there as well. I think there's quite a good dynamic between Morgan, Collingwood, Triscothic, and I think Anthony McGrath's there as well. So I like this coaching unit, um, and I think it's got mileage. All right, let's remind ourselves what Owen Morgan said about uh, working with this new group of players. It's unbelievably exciting. As a white ball group, we've gone on tours and <clears throat> played in series at home where... Um, we haven't had our full strength side available. That's that's been a constant theme for for a number of years now. Uh, obviously, test matches take priority and always do. So, going through the exercise of of giving younger guys opportunity is a really exciting time for us because when we've tried it in the past, um, and given the the unbelievable skill level that guys have coming through county cricket into the hundred playing in franchise tournaments around the world, they are now coming into our team ready to play international cricket. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited about seeing some of the, the new players who have come into the squad potentially get opportunities over the course of the five games and hopefully winning a series as well. That was England captain Owen Morgan. I'm looking forward to working with a, a new group of players. Although I have to say, Harmy, in recent years and recent tours, the England captain does have a habit of um, sticking to what he knows and what he likes. And, you know, there, there's there's a few players in squads in recent years that uh, have, have have done nothing more than warm the bench. So um, he's got a lot of players to get through. Yeah, it's as if the selectors have given him a group of players and he's only picking the ones he wants. Um, that's been the case in South Africa. I think, was it 2019 or 2020 when um, I think the ODIs got, got cancelled and... What are we were we expecting? Sixteen players. We're going to have a look at these players in three games, and he picked the same eleven. He picked the same eleven three times in a row. So if you are, if you do miss out on Saturday night, you might be worried that you might not get a game in this, get a gig in this trip. But I hope not on this case because of the likes of, obviously the likes of Butler and Stokes and Bairstow and and Wood. They're missing. The you know, Wokes is missing from a twenty twenty squad. With all them missing, I'd like to think Owen Morgan might. And Paul Collingwood might try and get as many players at least one game in that possibly can to sample the atmosphere of, of a, a T20 international. And the one thing that's going to be the atmosphere will be amazing in Barbados. So I don't think they're going to I don't think they're going to you know, get a, a, a better baptism if there is one of their first games than what it would be in Bridgetown Barbados over the course of the next twelve days. 
All right, finally, let's hear from former captain Jason Holder looking forward to the series. I think England are to the point where questions are being asked if they could sustain the level of cricket they've been playing. And for us, a lot of questions are being asked if we could get back to you know, our winning ways and our dominance in terms of T20 cricket. So, again, there are two, two series that I think should be, should be really, really good to watch. Two sides who are looking to make that progression forward and, and keep building. Even in the T20 format, you know, we're probably in the stage where we're uh, rebuilding, but England is probably, I wouldn't say a full-strength England, England team, you know, and, and that may be an opportunity for their guys, but also our guys to really lay the mark down and perform against quality opposition. You know, I think they're, they line up that they've, they've put out is still a very, very competitive one, and they have some big-name players in their, their lineup. West Indies uh, all-rounder and former captain Jason Holder looking forward to the series. And in case you missed it, by the way, England did play a warm-up game against the Bar- uh, Barbados President's eleven, And Jason Roy scored 100 from 36 balls. It was a fairly young and inexperienced team, but uh, nonetheless, 100 off 36 against uh, anybody is impressive. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue to look ahead to England's five-match T20 series against the West Indies, which is live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2. Next up, we'll be joined by the Caribbean Cricket Podcast to discuss how the hosts are preparing for the series. This going to be a short and far here is Moeen again. Down the wicket. Oh, that's gone enormous. That's gone straight over the commentary box. It's landed on the roof above us. We feel they have some very dangerous players and very good players as well. But be careful, we've got to play our, our best. Jordan bowls again. And he did a chip. Oh, he caught it. Christopher Jordan has caught a blinder. This time Morgan is getting a shot. Well, then he's pulling. Oh, oh but the wicket. That's a humongous six. Gone. Going, going, gone. Sold to Owen Morgan. Hopefully we can continue to grow, continue to get get better, get stronger as a team and, and hopefully continue to be very, very competitive. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue our build-up to England's five-match T20 series against the West Indies, which is live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2 from Barbados starting this Saturday evening. Delighted to say, as promised in the intro, we're joined by um, Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. It's a great listen, by the way. If you're not subscribed, then uh, you should do so. Uh, it's, uh, it's entertaining and informative. Uh, Michelle, thank you for your time, mate. How's preparations going for the West Indies? Everyone recovered from that Ireland ODI series yet? I hope they've recovered, but I haven't. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think um, the nature of... Uh, the global cricket calendar is you haven't got that much time to kind of think about what happened before because we're straight into it versus England. So let's hope they're rearing to go. And Michelle, we talk about, you know, the, the, that can be unpredictable in the West Indies and the inexperienced group that they've got. Is it a case of they'll turn up Bridgetown Barbados full house against the best team in the world? Are we expecting a, the proper West Indies to turn up or is this something that the West Indies are just going to have to put up with and go through? Do you know what? Because I think we have to remember that the, the, the kind of golden generation or T20 golden generation is done now for, for the West Indies. I think if you lose that many experienced players, yes, they had a bad World Cup, but if you lose that many experienced players all at one time, you have to go through some kind of rebuilding pro, uh, process. And I think in this squad versus England, other than Kyron Pollard and to an extent Jason Holder, 
you'd actually argue that everybody else in the squad is still fundamentally learning their game um, at the international level. So versus a powerhouse England team, even, I mean, I'm still calling England powerhouses shorn of some of their best talent. I think the, the, the unpredictable nature of T20 means you'd still expect West Indies to win one game because that happens in all kind of T20 series. You kind of win a game here and there, but make no mistake, England are the favourites here. And Phil Simmons is just turning around, turned around and said, you know, talking about the, the regional game, we are the same in England about the, the Red Bull game. But what is, you know, from a, a West Indies point of view, what is, first of all, what are the need and who are these young players that are going to change the, the, you know, the forecast of West Indies going forward into, you know, the powerhouses that, the, you know, we want them to be because world cricket needs a powerful West Indies. I mean, it certainly does. It's interesting to see England and West Indies going through what effectively is an existential crisis at the same time. And I would say that England will get out of theirs much quicker. Ours has been going on for about 25 years now. England will get out of theirs because at the end of the day, England's is just about priorities and putting the resources in the right places. Fundamentally, I think that's where it, where it boils down to. For the West Indies, I just do not believe we have the, res- the resources and financial power to fix it anytime soon. Um, In terms of the youngsters to get behind, I'm going to call some names that everybody should be familiar with by now. Shimron Hetmeyer, Nicholas Puran, even a Brandon King, a Fabian Allen. Uh, Jaden Seals has taken cricket by storm with, with his debut this year. But the issue the West Indies will always have is, I mean, I've, I just called some names, right? Of those names, Fabian Allen has never played a test match. Shimon Hetmeyer hasn't played a test match since 2019. Nicholas Puran has never played a test match. Jaden Seals, how long before he stops playing test matches? So there's always that kind that of, you can't you can't talk about the West Indies without thinking about the financial reality and how long we can keep hold of players in the maroon. So it sounds a bit pessimist, pessimistic to say it, but do we have to kind of like what England did? England prioritised white ball cricket over red ball cricket. Right now, I'd take West Indies prioritising something with <laughs> something else if it meant if it meant we became good in one format of cricket. A couple of days ago, we spoke to Jason Holder and he admitted that now he'd turned 30, he was uh, looking to play a little bit more franchise domestic T20 league cricket around the world. Um, you know, he he, um, he was very polite about it, but he basically said uh, you you have to maximise your financial earnings as as you as much as you can. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a short lifespan. It seemed like that problem, which existed for a dozen or 15 years, had been resolved. It seemed like the West Indies Cricket Board had come together and said, you know what, we cannot stop these guys earning money and playing around the world. Uh, So let's let them do that. Um, And then before big events and big tours, uh, we'll get them all together and we won't penalise them. Uh, It all seemed to to be pulling together and it's just beginning to fray around the edges again. Yeah, you make a good point. And I wrote something, granted it was in blog form, um, I think it was about three years ago. And I, I said at the time, it's when Shimon Hetmeyer was creating a storm across all formats of cricket. I think he'd blazed 100-odd in India, which of course then got the IPL scouts on, on his back. And I said at the time that the, I called it the Chris Gale conundrum. I said that if we don't heed it, we're going to be in the same position again, but with just a different set of players. And arguably, we're here now. We're here now with with Puran and Etmeyer, Fabian, Allen, etc. It's not that I don't think... So I'm going to kill a myth here. I do think the players genuinely 
want to represent West Indies. And I do think they're trying to meet Cricket West Indies halfway. The dilemma is how far, I say halfway, but where is halfway? Now, for some of them, halfway is I'll turn up for the odd bilateral series here and there. For others, it's I'm going to make myself available whenever you need me. And for some, it's, well, actually, I'll play if I feel like it. And I think if I had to criticise, the, the issue is that there isn't one coherent viewpoint, not from Cricket West Indies, from all players. And I'd like us to reach a point where every single player is able to say, yes, OK, financial realities. I want to be financially stable. I want to look after my my people back home in the Caribbean. But I'd like them to kind of meet us a bit more than halfway. At, at this point, I, I, I'd I like to see Nicholas Puran play one test match before his career is done. Just one before his career is done. And you mentioned, you mentioned Young Searle, who has took the game by, by storm. But you look at Dominic Drake's, Brandon King. Are the, are the, is, this their, is this their breakthrough series? Because all eyes are going to be on playing against the best team, one of the best teams in the world especially in Barbados, where the, the bright lights, the big city, and you know, the, the, the five T20s in a short period of time, you know, it's going to be shown all around the world. What are we expecting from these good young guys? Yeah, most definitely, and, and arguably in the Caribbean context, and this could cause some consternation from, from, from some West Indian listeners, but arguably Barbados versus England, arguably it doesn't get very much bigger than that uh, in kind of the history um, of West Indies England. I think this is big for... Dean Smith, as you say, those names you called the Dominic Drakes, the Romario Shepherds. But to be honest, Harmy, I'm kind of I'm kind of a bit caught in two minds here because if they have a good series and then we go to India, and if they have a good series there, you know what happens next. <laughs> so, so yes, it yes it is big. Um, and I think if they're going to make a name, I mean, Dean Smith is already making a name for himself, uh, given what he was doing versus Ireland um, with the bats. So. Um, Now's the time to shine. Finally, the International uh, Players Association, uh, FICA, the, um, conducted an annual survey amongst, um, amongst professional cricketers around the world. And there was a seminal moment, um, it might have been last year, it might even have been two years ago, when for the first time, the majority of players under 30 uh, were asked about their primary ambition, said an IPL contract not to play test matches, not to, to represent my country or my region. It seemed like an irreversible step. And, you know, the, the scouts' first port of call tends to be the Caribbean. Are you, are you trying to push waves back into the sea? Are you fighting an, a, a, an impossible tide? It's not going to be a popular answer, but it can't be stopped. It can't be. It, it can't be because the financial. Okay, so it's not. It's it's not specifically about England, but let's use the England example. So right now with the England debate, there's that whole thing about class and so on and so forth, right? Not to um, stereotype or generalize, but in the Caribbean context, for I don't want to give a percentage, but for some of these players, their beginnings are extremely humble, and if you are offered an extortionate amount of money to work less than <laughs> test cricket and even ODI cricket, arguably, why would you do it? Why would you Why would you go into the field for five? I know it's the pinnacle of the game, but why would you go into the field for five days when actually you can financially set yourself up for life by just globetrotting? So 
I'm not one to criticise what the players are doing. I'm not one to say restraint of trade, but I am, I guess, one to say an appeal to their heartstrings <laughs> and say, <laughs> just, I know, we know what it is. You're, you've got every right to do what you're doing, but maybe for the betterment of the region, only play some of the tournaments. That's where the difficulty is. But it's such a fine line to cross for people who have come up from humble beginnings. And is that the board? Did the board have to say that to some of the West Indies players or, or basically the board have to turn around and say, right, we are prepared to play less cricket if you come back to us. So we'll move the goalpost to make sure that you can play in two or three of these franchise tournaments around the world. But we then need you to play for the West Indies when the, the calendar suits, which is basically we will move the calendar around the franchise. It's a little bit like what New Zealand have done. Mm-hmm. A lot of New Zealand players play all these franchises around the world and their team are the best team in the world, ranked the best team in the world because they won the world championship. Is that what the board have got to do or is there too much arrogance in the board to rebuff and push back against the players? So I'm going to give the board their due because I think you're 100% correct. And this is why I think we lost a generation of cricketers. That's the reality. Because I think if you go back to 2012 onwards and talk specifically about the the DJ Bravos, the Kyron Pollards, the Chris Gales, when they were in their prime. The board's attitude then, in comparison to the New Zealand board, was to fight the players and make it very much a West Indies or else. So the players took their ball and they went because they had the right to do that. They didn't sign central contracts and they went and played freelanced around the world in some regards, some more than others. Since about 2019, the board, I think, has gone out of their way to meet these players halfway. Uh, Kyron Pollard's the best example. So Pollard's now the captain. And if you look at Pollard's, um, his freelance priorities, PSL's a good example. So a few years ago, Pollard didn't play the PSL because he had West Indies commitments. And he agreed that as West Indies captain, he will now reduce his commitments on the, on the freelance circuit and make sure that when West Indies needs him, he is always available. Great. But that some would argue Pollard can do that because he's already made it. Yeah. So, of course, he can give up commitments. What if you're Dominic Drake's now or Oldean Smith, who are starting to get the Bangladesh Premier League deals, the PSL deals? I'm not even talking about IPL. I'm talking about the, the, the lesser ones. It's, it's harder for them as they're making their way up through the system than it is for the established players who have been there, done that. Final question, Michelle, before we, we let you go. And thanks for your time. It's been great to chat to you. Uh, does it make a difference, do you think, uh, with guys like Desmond Haynes and Randara Sharwan coming back into uh, West Indies cricket, taking a, a lead role? Does that, does that have any influence at all? PR-wise, it does. <laughs> <laughs> That's very honest. Um, I would argue that West, being a West Indies selector is one of the hardest jobs in world cricket because no matter what you do, there, is going, there are going to be media and fans in the region who are going to criticise you if you haven't got a player from their particular island or country. So that's, that's issue number one. Even the great Desmond Haynes is going to get criticised uh, and, and Ronnie Sarwem. But also, and this again, the parallels with England are so great right now, who have we got to call up anyway? Well, I'm looking at the cupboard and the cupboard is bare. Um, so yes, they can make a difference, but the, the pool, the talent pool is still the talent pool. So I... Uh, What they're going to have to do, and I wonder if England are going to do the same, do you start to look at players who might not necessarily have the numbers, but you recognise that they've got some kind of intangible that you can work with? But the problem with doing that is that's a risk, and it's a risk that comes with criticism if it it doesn't come off. But if your cupboard is bare, what else can you do? 
Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt, you tell you what, that was fantastic. Thank you for your time. All we can offer you in exchange is a couple of 10 minute sections of Harmy on your next uh, Caribbean cricket podcast. All right. <laughs> he's, he's in Barbados, so he's, he's available. Is he ready to come out <laughs> of retirement? <laughs> you ain't got a shirt big enough. You ain't got a shirt big enough to bring me out every time. And trust me, I tell you. <laughs> Thank you very much, mate. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate it. Eh? Thank you. No problem. Thank you, Michelle. St. Patrick here from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And a reminder: you can hear live and exclusive ball by ball commentary of that uh, England T20 series against the West Indies. It all gets underway on Saturday night. Next up, we'll speak live with England fast bowler David Payne. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we look ahead to England's T20 series against the West Indies, which is live ball by ball here on TalkSport 2. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, which is now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm delighted to say, as promised at the top of the show, we're joined live by David Payne from Barbados. After two long, hard days of trying to get the Wi-Fi working from uh, the beautiful Barbados, and after all, who who needs Wi-Fi in Barbados? But David, it's great to have you. Um, thank you very, very much for your time. All going well? Settled in? Yeah, all going well, apart from the Wi-Fi conundrum at the start. No, that's all, <laughs> that's all sorted, though, so... Uh... 
yeah, settled in lovely, beautiful place. Uh, really enjoying it. I mentioned at the top of the show that, um, that that we know Owen Morgan likes a little bit of left arm in his squad, but he's um, indulging himself with this one, isn't he? With four of you. He is. I think that was a surprise to most, but um, actually something I've probably campaigned for a little bit in terms of we always choose the left armour as the, the point of difference, but actually why can't you um, have the right armour as the point of difference and actually... You know, it's nice to have a few left armers. It gives me a lot of guys to uh, pick their brains and learn from as well. So it's um, no, it's a really nice group to have. And the, the left arm option, it's not as though you get a lot, David, with when you go right arm option. You say, right, you've got four. You know, we've, we've just gone off the back of an Ashes series where we sometimes get criticised for bowling three or four 80-mile-an-hour right arm bowlers. But we've not got, we've not got four, three or four left armers the same, have we? You've got Reese, who's quite tall. Ty Miles a bit skiddier. Do you talk to each other about you know, what different characteristics you've got and how you can use them in this shorter format? Yeah, so after the warm-up game yesterday, I spoke to Toppers. I thought he bowled a fantastic spell with the new ball. And he was talking about kind of the pace and carrying the pitches. And he thought they, um, yeah, they were quicker than he expected. And I said, actually, looking at it, though, I think it might have just been because of his height. I said to him, he had the new ball, obviously. But actually, then Saki from the other end didn't look quite as as bouncy as Toppers had. And as you say, with Toppers with his height, that's just his unique point of difference, I guess. And he's saying that it's different for Tamal, probably a bit of extra pace, skiddier. So yeah, all being left arm, but all having our own characteristics, I, I, I guess, and being slightly different. And we talked about a lot of talk about COVID bubbles and it, it must be tough. And, you know, I couldn't even think of being involved in a, in two years of, of a COVID bubble, you know, with my lifestyle when I played, but how hard has it been from a guy that comes in county cricket, then goes into these bubbles and then comes out of it. You know, when you see the, the likes of you know, the, the test and white ball format players who have played, you know, basically two years in it, how is it, how difficult is it first and foremost, and how important is it for the guys that are coming in and out to give the group a bit of energy? Yeah, so I guess for me, it is, I'm, I'm probably right at the lower end of the spectrum in terms of, of bubbles, obviously being predominantly county cricket for me, and then just a couple of bubbles. But it's, I still found that any bubble has been pretty difficult when you're just confined to a room or whatever it is. But listening to some of these guys' years, what they've had, I can't even imagine some of it. The, the two weeks quarantine, as I say, I, I'm lucky enough that I probably only had to do it for a couple of days or so. Yeah, it's almost lost for words in terms of thinking about how tough it must be for them. And the amount of days and months probably now that they've racked up confined to a hotel room is just is beyond me. So um, as you say, then for guys like me coming into this group, someone a new face, hopefully it is refreshing for them. And, um, I, and I can just provide a little bit of something different and a little bit of energy. Someone new, say, someone for them to get to know, someone different in the group and... Um, yeah, hopefully that is something different for them. And say the quarantine here wasn't too bad at all this time. So I think the boys are, are pretty full of energy for this trip. I had an interview you did with Sky a couple of days ago and you were reflecting on the last year or the last 18 months. You know, it's always a big moment, isn't it, when a cricketer turns 30 or is approaching 30. It sounded like uh, you felt there was a, a fork in the road in your career coming up or, you know, something needed to happen and then... And then the entire ODI squad was was changed. You were suddenly in the England ODI team, and here you are in Barbados in the in the T20 squad. You know, it sounds like whatever fork in the road your career took, it was certainly the right one. No, it definitely was. I say, and um, 
yeah, last summer was huge for me. I, I definitely felt a little bit like it was now or never. Um, felt like I'd been on the fringes for a while. Oh, that's what, you know, that was the hearsay and what I'd been told. And um, I guess it got to the point where that was almost driving me a little bit mad to, you know, you're just not quite sure how close you are. Um, so to get that call, however means necessary, last summer was um, was huge for me. And uh, as I've said in in several interviews really it was kind of the the spark and the the reignition I needed just to know that I am as close as people have been telling me um so I say that just that boosted me right through for the summer um and then into this winter it gave me a lot of a lot of passion and motivation to to hit my winter training hard and and believe and hope that this opportunity could could arise and uh, again when I got this phone call it was just pure elation to make it to this group and that's that's everything I've ever wanted and now it's on to the next stage and keep going down that that fork in the road and just hope that I can put in some good performances and, and retain a place in this in this squad. David, I've talked a lot about the difference between county cricket and international cricket. And until you made that jump, you can't really comprehend what the difference is. Can you just try and explain for somebody who came into international cricket after a long experience, you know, as an experienced player in county cricket, the difference between playing for a county and playing for your country and the, the the sort of level of the mental pressure that you're under. Because when you came in last year, it was a whole new side. It was a new captain. Ben, ben Stokes was captain. What was that like? But the difference between county cricket and, and international cricket is huge. Yeah, and like you say, I don't think you can quite comprehend that until you get into the environment. Touch on Stokes last summer, like you say, he was, I think, amazing with that group in terms of helping a whole new group you know, a lot of them had, had been in international environments, but not played a huge amount. And Stokesy was fantastic, I think, at settling nerves and welcoming everyone and making that group, you know, feel a real part of being in an England squad and putting an England shirt on and, and being in that environment. As I say, I, all the experience I've got in county cricket definitely definitely feels like it helps. But as you say, the, you, you step into that England environment and instantly there's something about it that almost broadens your eyes opens them up and like wow this is this is what the talk is all about this is this is the next level and I think it's just a case of everything every part of cricket and everything you do at county cricket just being that little more intense a little bit more pressure and everything's heightened and yes yeah, so I don't think you can quite comprehend it until until you're in it and then you even just in training sessions as I say just it's given me so much for me, I guess, to to look at my game and see actually there's so much more I can improve in my game. And I think that was probably the biggest thing. That you you realise where you're at as a cricketer when you when you come into these environments. It, it'll expose you for any little weaknesses you have. Whereas in county cricket, there's there'll be games probably where you can get away with that. But um, no, in this environment, it certainly stands out that I think you've really got to be on the top of your game every day. David, I've got two questions for you. You can take your pick or you can answer them both. How tiresome is the talk that's, after all, been going on about 100 years uh, about players from unfashionable counties um, not getting the recognition they deserve? Um, Guys like Ian Cobain and Benny Howell um, playing franchise cricket um, around the world and uh, and being recognised. And do you think it's a... It has been a hindrance playing for Gloucester. Um, And secondly, there's talk about combined county 11s playing intense first-class fixtures against the touring teams um, in June and July. Um, and you've spoken about your ambitions to play Test cricket. That, that could be 
that could be a fantastic sort of springboard opportunity to to showcase your 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 abilities. Yeah, definitely. I'll actually be honest. I hadn't um, I didn't know about that. I hadn't heard about that. But if that is the case, then that yeah, that just probably fills me with excitement. That the possible opportunities, like you say, that there there'd be eleven guys there with an opportunity to challenge themselves against some of the best, and it could just be the springboard you need to to get to test cricket. If you say, if I can do well in games like that, then, um, yeah, then hopefully that might give you the opportunity that you're looking for. Um, and in terms of, yeah, going back to your first question with, with Gloucestershire, I think, I think if I'm honest, back in the past on reflection, it's probably is in the back of my mind, whether, whether Gloucestershire did hold me back and, you know, not them personally, but me being at Gloucester and um, I don't know, that's for everyone's opinion. There'll be people that's, people that say that, it, that they didn't and people that say that they did. Um, but I think the most important thing is that now I'm, I'm fully believed that it's an open playing field for anyone now with England. Um, and it doesn't matter what county you play for. It's, it's just about performing well and you'll get selected. And I think for, that was probably one of the big things about for me with my first selection is, you know, knowing that now that that, that has to be the case that if I can do it from Gloucester, then it, it means anyone can. And you mentioned you can do it from, from Gloucester. I agree. Uh, me and Collie did it from Durham and we were only a first-class county for 15 years. So you, have, you can do it. If you're good enough, you are. You should be, be able to get selected from anywhere. And if you get selected, Bridgetown, Barbados, the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. Um, sampled it many times before. It is a fantastic place to play cricket, especially when things are going your way and the noise and the... You know, the rum's going, especially late at night. What are you expecting from David Payne himself and also the five-match series as a team? To be honest, Harmy, I've, put, I've, I've kind of put my expectations kind of low. I think it's the way I operate. So almost come into the series, the expectation maybe not to play or to get the odd game potentially. It's just the way I've always always operated, really, not to, to put my hopes too high. And um, I've come into these two weeks just to really embrace the occasion, embrace the environment and learn as much as I can as a cricketer for these two weeks to help me better my game. And then, as I say, if, if then an opportunity comes, if Morgs gives me the tap and said, says you're playing, then, um, you know, then it's just a case of going out and doing what I've done for the last 10 years, really, and rely on that experience and go and enjoy the occasion. As you've touched on, I think, watching these tours before on, on TV, the amount of fun it looks, the playing in front of a West Indies crowd, they always talk about it being a party here, really, and playing in front of the West Indies. And I, I can't wait for Saturday, whether I'm bib on or whether I'm out in the middle, to just take it all in, just sit there and look around the ground and and witness firsthand what it's like to be out here. And yeah, I, th- I, I can't wait to, to hear the noise and hear the roars and hear hear everything that, that Barbados will have to offer. I think that it's so exciting for me to be a part of. David, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoy the series. Enjoy the enjoy the sunshine as well. It's been fantastic to talk to you. And thanks for getting the Wi-Fi sorted. <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate Cheers, it. Cheers, David. All the best, Matt. I'll catch Cheers, you in the next few days. We'll hear more from uh, Owen Morgan now. Um, he he doesn't always strike you as somebody who's interested in creating and leaving behind a legacy. Um, perhaps he just knows that he, he will, that he, that he already has, actually, the rebuilding of England's ODI team. But this was him uh, talking to Scott Taylor a couple of days ago, discussing that exact subject. Oh, I'm unbelievably proud, and particularly when we, we have uh, young guys who, who are predominantly county cricketers, are playing in two or three franchise tournaments during our winter season. 
making mistakes, learning more, experiencing more. And even to the extent now where they're massively sought after because they're match winners. So guys like Ben Duckett, Joe Clark have gone down to Australia, played really, really well, put on a show and haven't necessarily had the international exposure that they might have done in a different generation of, of English cricket. But I'm incredibly proud, not only of that, but the, the level of expectation that this current team of players and group of players has lifted the level of expectation around going into world tournaments and then winning. For the majority of my career, um, white ball cricket was an afterthought. And 95% of the time was spent around planning and prep for test match cricket. And then when we got to a World Cup, it was like, well, if we do well, great. If we don't, it's, it's fine. But I think the, the skill level that guys are producing now on a consistent basis you know, and, and proven over long periods of time, um, rightly so, we're, we're considered one of the best in the world. And trust me, I'd, I'd much rather be considered that than an afterthought. So all the credit has to go to, to the group of players at the moment. They've, they have built what I think is something special as a group and and hopefully it, it builds further towards the future as well yeah let's talk about the future then finally I appreciate your time you've got plenty of ICC events coming up I think one every year coming up in the near future so there's a lot of people that say well you've won the T20 World Cup you've won the 50 over World Cup what's keeps that drive going in Owen Morgan to to, to go and achieve more yeah here it's a uh, a drive to to want to leave the, the team in a, in, a, in a far better place with the ambition of them continuing to get better down the line. I really enjoyed playing with this group. I've loved captaining, captaining. And at this particular time in my career, uh, I couldn't be having a better time. Um, you know, turning up to a World Cup as either favourites or joint favourites or, you know, real strong contenders is something that excites me because the drive to want to fulfill that level of expectation is something that we haven't, well, I haven't had a lot in my career, but over the last six years, it has been a constant. And it's something that I always think about because it, it, it makes me think about what can we change to get better or how, how can we become more consistent as a side? So until that stops, yeah, I think, um, I think things are good. Yeah, England captain Owen Morgan there, he doesn't strike me as, uh, as somebody who is, has an interest in creating a place for himself in the history of the game. I mean, he's, he's not like that. I think he just wants to win. He is aware that he is credited, and rightly, with, uh, with the complete rebuild from, from 2015. And it was interesting, Harmy, because after the 2019 World Cup, he did give himself a couple of weeks or even a month or two. He wouldn't commit himself to carrying on. He wanted to see whether he still had the passion and the drive and the hunger. He discovered that he did. And, and now he's, he's, again, seems like a man on a mission. Yeah, it is. And it's great for English cricket. Um, I know there's, there's a lot made and documented what he said in the, last, in the last week. But I can see some of the stuff he was trying to say. You can't blame the 100 for... England's test failures because it's you know technically it has it's been going one year when the others have been going three or four but I think he was missing the point and he was, wasn't reading the room right that the question was about is the hundred going to get in the way that time will tell on that one leaving the legacy I think somebody like Owen Morgan I don't think he, he he probably worries about that 
things like that are you, you look at when you're finished. So I think the legacy he's left, or he will be leaving when he does go, I think is, is playing for everybody to see what a fantastic achievement that he has done in, in transforming the mindset of English white ball cricketers into not picking, just getting picked in one day cricket off the back of good test matches. Actually, you, you, they're actually nearly gone the other way. They've nearly gone picking test match players off the back of how well they've done in, in white ball format. And that's, that's another feather in, in Owen's cap. Um, I think he's achieved so much as a leader of English cricket. That I don't think he needs to worry about his own legacy. I think it's there for him. It's already set in stone for him and he's, and he's got that. Um, and I thought he was right when he said in 2019, I'm just going to take a couple of weeks because he could have made a rash decision then off the, the, uh, the, the elation of winning the World Cup. You know, how tight a game it was, you know, going into the Super Over. He could have, in two days, three days, completely made a mess of his next chapter of his life because he could have said, right, I'm, I'm retiring. And if he retired, he might have been on a broadcasting booth now. He might have been on a coaching booth now. But he's still got a lot to offer, not just from an English cricket point of view, but from Owen Morgan's point of view as well, as a player, as a captain, as a leader. Um, and somebody who retired at 35, I would love to have played on until I was in my late 30s, like one or two other people, because there's no substitute for playing. And I think because he gave himself two weeks, I don't think it was a difficult decision. I think he was just buying some time off the elation of, of winning the World Cup. So I'm pleased he did do that. How long has he got? I think he's probably got another year or two left in him. Um, the shorter format, the franchise cricket, the leadership qualities. I still think there's a lot of, lot of cricket left in, in Owen Morgan and Again, you look at some of our greatest greatest cricketers of all time. They've gone on to play into their late 30s because they've, they've got good values of the game, understanding of their own game, and and the de- dedication to work hard. And I'm thinking the likes of Morgan, and I'm thinking the likes of Cook, and um, Alistair Cook, and you know, Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad. Like Joe Root will do that as well. I think that the mindset that these guys have is is great for English cricket. Morgan has said on a number of occasions that he wouldn't be afraid to drop himself if he was captain of the squad, um, that if he felt that he wasn't in the best 11 at that time, at that moment for a particular game, he has no qualms about uh, dropping himself. Do you think that situation, well, first of all, do you think he meant that? And do you think that situation might arise? I mean, if he's still in charge going into the 2023 50 over World Cup, England defending their title, he'd be 37 do you think that scenario ever might arise? Possibly. It wouldn't surprise me with, with what Owen Morgan does because he's a deep thinker. When people look at him, and I've had this conversation many times, in, you know, and I got it you know, talking you know, a little bit with, with Kevin Peterson, that when people did, uh, did criticise Owen Morgan for not getting the volume of runs that he was getting, we were like, hold on, he saves 15 runs in the field, 20 runs in the field by his captaincy by his bowling changes, by keeping the likes of Adil Rashid late on. People shouting, why are you not bowling Rashid? We have the game, you know, we need a wicket. And it's like, well, you take the game as deep as you possibly can and then you, you bring your trump card in. That's the art of a good captain. That's the art of somebody that knows what he's doing. So for me, if, Mo, if Owen Morgan averages 35 between now or 32 between now and you know, the, the, the T20 World Cup, beyond that, and the World Cup in 2023... No, I wouldn't have a problem with him being in the side because I think he can add 15 runs to that because of the art of captaincy that he has. 
bowling decision, bowling changing decisions, his field positions, his ability to stay calm in any situation for me saves a lot of runs in the field. And that is that is valuable. So, yes, I think he probably did mean it if he felt as though the next cab off the rank that was coming in, knocking on the door was was just too big to ignore. But I'd also urge anybody that watches scorecards and looks at games and thinks, Owen Morgan's only got 30, he's only got 40, he's only got 25. Add 15 to it, because for me, the captaincy of Owen Morgan adds 15 runs to you in the field every single time that guy goes on the field leading, these, leading this England team. And your final thoughts um, on the series. You know, you know it's, it's in the background of... 15 or 16 or was it even 17 England players playing in the big bash and you know I think there's another 15 or 16 being signed up in the Pakistan Super League in fact you look at every domestic league and there are Englishmen playing in it is that part of Owen Morgan's legacy and are these five matches coming up another opportunity for well I was going to say Phil Salt but I mean he's already playing in two or three domestic other domestic leagues English white ball crickets have never been as strong or had as much depth we know that. Can it get stronger and even deeper? I think it can get stronger and deeper because these these franchise leagues now are getting there's more value in them. <clears throat> I think the the county contracts not as not as strong as what it used to be. In the last sort of twenty years, the the, the county contract was a one that everybody went to around the world. All con- yeah, eighteen first class counties had two overseas players of high high quality. You know, my first overseas player was David Boone. You know, I played with the likes of Shivnarine Chanderpaul, you know, Mike Hussey, Shoei Bakhtar, you know, some fantastic players. That's not there anymore. That county contract for an overseas player is not as valued as what it, it used to be because of the, the franchise leagues around the world. And is it, it's a good thing from a, a, for what Owen Morgan, and I think as well as we've got to forget, not got to forget what Sir Andrew Strauss did. You know, he was uh, alongside Morgan and, and, and putting this white ball program together. We need now need it for the red ball to move forward going going into the next sort of 10 years. But I think because of what this white ball team can do, we are getting a lot of players playing franchise cricket around the world and it can only benefit. And my club has just got another one. Um, I think young Potts has gone to Lahore. Um, Matthew Potts from Durham, who did fantastically well in the 100 last year. That's, that, is a, that is an unbelievable achievement for that young man because you know, a lad who's worked so hard at, to get himself in a position to play county cricket at Durham is now going to play in an international franchise on the other side of the world and experience that. He's going to come back a better player. And that's what we want. We want them to go away and come back better players because it will improve our county system, it will improve our you know, domestic system, but also when they come back and play international cricket, they'll be better players for sampling, you know, other 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 dressing rooms and other grounds around the world. Thank you very much, Harmy. Enjoy Barbados. Enjoy the sunshine. Go easy on the run. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And uh, you can hear all the five T20s between England and the West Indies, live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2, with the build-up starting at 7pm this Saturday evening. If you've missed any of this show or you wish to catch up, you can, as always, download the podcast from the following on feed, available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back in our usual slot on Tuesday to look back at the first two T20s and discuss the other uh, of the week's biggest stories. But for now... This has been a special edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2.
The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 